Coming to you from the Morningstar Mission sponsored studio, this is Carl and Crew Mornings. I tried out my fruit jokes again. On who this time? On my son. Oh, and how did he like them? Uh, <laughs> got a little chuckle. Okay. I, I was hoping for a little bit more. Yeah. Are they usually into corny jokes or? No. No. Okay. Yeah. Nobody in my house likes my jokes but me. That's hard. It is hard. That's difficult. Have you tried new comedy styles? No, I only have one style. <laughs> my only comedy style is really corny. Dad, They call them dad jokes, but I'm going to say that they're mom jokes. You know what? That's fair. I get it. Yeah, I mean, you, they're parent jokes. You can be corny and a mom as well. Okay, so if you missed it, I I told some a series of fruit jokes the other morning. I won't bore you with all of them, but I do have a couple more. You have some fresh fruit jokes. <laughs> yes, Jonathan. Thank you. Hey, I'm trying. I'm trying to step into it. I'm trying to just accept it. It's Thursday morning. I know you're going. <laughs> what What am I listening to? We're talking all week long about how to live fruitfully. Yesterday. One of the my favorite fruit passages in all of Scripture comes out of John 15, and it's this principle of abiding, that if we abide in Christ, we will bear fruit. We're not called to bear fruit. We're called to abide. The fruit producing happens by our close connection to our Heavenly Father. That's how we bear fruit. Yeah. So let's warm up with a little <laughs> fruit joke. Okay. Okay, Jonathan, do I have some music? Uh, sure. I'll get you some music. Just we'll just do a little. Any any old thing will do. Just a little bit of music in case. It's good to have music in case nobody laughs, because then it doesn't get quiet. Yeah, fair, fair. Okay, what is Romeo and Juliet's least favorite fruit? Romeo and Juliet's least favorite fruit. Hmm. I don't know. Cantaloupe. Cantaloupe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I like that one. <laughs> okay. What is Beethoven's favorite fruit? My kids got this one immediately, so you've probably heard this one. Beethoven's, Beethoven's favorite fruit. Favorite fruit. I don't know. I actually don't know this one. Banana. <laughs> Banana. That's really good. Okay. okay I'm li- okay. I'm getting used to it. I'm getting warmed up to him now. One more for you, and then I promise I'll put him away. What do you call it? When your friends encourage you to eat more healthily, what do you call it when your friends encourage you to eat more healthily? Mm, I don't know. Be a little bit of pear pressure. <laughs> My goodness. Okay, you know what? This is kind of like Ding Dong Merrily on High. You know, at first you're not sure about it, but the more you listen, the more you listen, kind of warms up on you. Oh, man, you got some fruit jokes. <laughs> send them my way. I'm going to re-up. I need new material for the next couple hours, so send me your fruit jokes. <laughs> Text 312-274-9624. How to live fruitfully in 2023. Your shot of hope to make it through the day. It's Carl and Crew Mornings. Well, what a treat this morning. We have a special guest. His name is Dr. John Kessler. He's a contributing editor and columnist for Today in the Word. He's the featured author this month, People of Prayer. I love this. I've been tracking along. I read it in the mornings before I come in. I've been really enjoying it. So first off, great work on this month's devotional. Thank you. Appreciate that. So prayer, 
is obviously a vital part of living fruitfully this year and and any year. I want to walk through some of the the things that you are kind of pulling out in this month's devotional as it pertains to prayer. Uh, one of the first days you talk about what the uh, the opposite of prayer. Talk a little bit more because it helps us understand what prayer is when we see what it's not. Well, I think that, you know, prayer on the one hand is uh, it is a conversation with God and that, you know, I'm I'm basically what could be easier than prayer. You know, I'm just talking. I do that all the time. I do it all day long with people. But uh, on the one hand, you know, prayer. The weird thing about prayer is that it it feels like this one-sided conversation because for most of us, God doesn't talk back. So what we slip into is uh, this pattern of telling God what He's going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It's you are not we're not really making requests. We're basically either we're setting agenda, we're making demands, we're we have strong opinions about what, not just what we think God should do, or or even what we want God to do, which I think is the legitimate element of prayer. But we, I know exactly how He's going to do it. I'm going to tell Him, here's the path. You know, I want you to do this. I want you to do it now. I, I go down this way, and of course, He always ignores that. Almost always ignores that. <laughs> You said uh, one thing I want to go back to. You you said that we talk to God, but for most of us, God doesn't talk back. Uh, What do you mean by Mm -hmm. that? Should we expect to be hearing from God? I know a lot of people wonder this. So how do I hear from God? Because it does feel like sometimes I'm just talking and I trust that he's there listening. But how do I know that that he's responding or how do I even see it if he is? Well, this is. You know, I want to say, first of all, God has primarily spoken to us through his word. That That's his primary means of communicating with us. I know that there are—I've often heard people, when they talk about prayer, you know, they say, well, you know, it's a conversation, it's a two-way conversation. I talk to God, and he talks back to me. And you get the impression when they talk this way that it's like, I don't know, you know, they hear a voice, mm-hmm. they get a feeling, they get— and all I can tell you is that that just has never been my experience with God, that it's not when, when I pray. And and as I have talked to the majority of people that I've talked to in their experience of prayer, it is largely this sort of one, one way, you know, one direction in terms of the actual words that are spoken. They pray, they talk to God, and they may get a sense of his presence, but for the most part, they're not getting like verbal messages back from God so that so that when he speaks to them, typically it comes through what he has explicitly said in his word as they reflect then on uh, the implication that may have for their situation. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that it's, you know, it's like a sort of a deistic model where God is detached from us and not involved, and you pray, and it, and it goes out into the ether, and, and and that's kind of it. Although, frankly, it does feel that way sometimes. Um, but really, the, the I think t- for most Christians, really the essence of the prayer experience is when God, when, when I am expressing myself to God and, and typically making requests, and and the danger is that because 
in terms of the affect of it, the experience I mm-hmm. have on God's side, is it seems like silence. I yeah. may misinterpret that and think that it means he's, he's not listening, he's not engaged, he's not interested. The, real, the reality is, you know, silence is a mark of a good listener. <laughs> uh, so That's a good point. Now, we've been talking all week long about on the this program about how to live fruitfully. You cannot have a fruitful life. You can't have an abiding life without being prayerful. Uh, how do you tie these two together, this principle of uh, abiding and therefore bearing fruit with prayer? How does prayer factor into this? Well, you know, Jesus, when he is talking about abiding in John 15, he makes it very clear that that fruitfulness is God's project. And what the burden that he lays, and it's not really a burden, the, the command that he lays on God's people is simply to abide, to dwell in Christ. And then, so part of that is it, it, it's really a, a, a relational idea and communication, my expressing myself um, to God through Christ is a central part of that. And so, you know, I think that there, there, there's this whole field of prayer. There are many ways that we talk to God, many different you know, ways we practice that discipline. But uh, to me, it's, uh, you know, I feel most typical, most comfortable looking at it from the perspective of ordinary conversation mm-hmm. so that prayer isn't just something like I, I have this moment of prayer in the day. It is this ongoing conversation that I have with God, just as I have with all the other people that are in my life that takes place within the framework of everything I'm doing. You know, when I wake up in the morning, God's right there for me to address. As I go through my day and I make observations and I have concerns and I have needs that arise, God's right there for me to communicate with him. So there's, on the one hand, there's this formal dimension of prayer that many of us have. We have our time of prayer and we have maybe maybe even we have particular kinds of prayers that we like to pray, but the the largest dimension I think of this in our lives is simple ordinary conversation that takes place in the day to day issues of life with God who is always present, Christ dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit, just just like that, you know, just like. Just like I talk to my wife, Jane, just like I talk to my kids, just talk, like I talk to my friends. And in the moment when I talk to them, you yeah. know, as things come up, that's, Do- at least that's the way it works for me. Dr. John Kessler, our guest this morning, I want to coming up, I want to talk about this uh, a little bit more. It can feel like a one-sided conversation. And I think sometimes that might be why people uh, grow weary, feel like maybe your prayers haven't been answered Coming up, what do you, what's the best approach if you do want 2023 to be a fruitful year and maybe you've decided, I want to become more of a person of prayer this year? We're going to ask for some insight from Dr. John Kessler coming up. New to the show? Stick around for a while. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. So you want a deeper, stronger, more vibrant prayer life this year. 
probably many of you. I know I would say that is true of myself. Dr. John Kessler is with us right now. He is a contributing editor uh, to this Today in the Word. It's a Moody publication. He's featured this month in January, if you're following along. Many people approach a new year with the with a goal, maybe it's the same goal as they set in previous years and not and failed to accomplish, but said, I want, I really want to become a person of prayer this year. Why does this goal feel so elusive for so many? I think it's because we're perfectionists. (laughs) You know, we, we have this mental image of what a good prayer life is like. And and usually it's kind of extreme, you know, I'm going to spend like 10 hours a day (laughs) praying and and I'm going to raise the dead. And you know, I, like we, we have this sort of fantasy of what we think it should look like. And then when we start to do it, we, we feel like we're fumbling. You know, I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, it really is like a lot of other conversations we have where we sort of stumble into them and I, I don't know true. what to talk about. And then <laughs> when I do awkward. talk about it, I don't, <laughs> I don't feel really good about what I said. And, and, you know, I think prayer is, prayers like that, especially, as I said, with this sort of unique dynamic that God's interaction with us, for the most part, feels like silence. So you know what that kind of conversation is like when you're talking to somebody and they're not talking back, you know, that you, then you get flustered. So I, so I think to answer the question, you know, well, how do, all right, how do I manage this? Well, first of all, just start talking and, and don't, don't worry about it. You don't have to be eloquent. You know, it's not like uh, there's not going to be a test. You know, you know, it's not like you're going to say it the, the wrong way. Just begin to speak the truth of what's on your heart in God's direction with the assumption that he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, as uh, uh, John tells us, we know that he's going to respond. And then... I do think there are things you can do that that will help you when you feel like you're at a loss for words. You know, the Bible is full of prayers, and I think it's often helpful to go to the Psalms or some of the recorded prayers in Scripture and make those words our words. But the psalmists, you know, in particular, the Psalms are, they express pretty much almost every emotion, pretty much every emotion and every circumstance that you might face. And they will help you to put your experience and your thoughts and your concerns and even your anger and your frustration into words that, that you can speak to God. Um, there are prayers that other people have prayed, you know, that there, there are actually, you know, books that have uh, a record of prayers that people have written and I don't think there's anything wrong with taking those words and making them our own. But, you know, the bare minimum is just just open your heart, open your mouth and, and speak to God. Don't worry about the time. You don't have to pray for 10 hours. You know, actually, when you look at the prayers that are recorded in Scripture, most of them are very short. Mm. I mean, you know, like just a, a minute or two. So, and Jesus gives warning about the danger of thinking that you can put pressure on God by the multitude of your words. Yeah. You know, it's a funny thing about the way we we treat prayer like it's a 
uh, like we can nag God into doing what we want him to do, or like it's a petition drive. If we get enough signatures, he's going to have to do what we want him to do. And he, he, he doesn't respond to that. It doesn't work that way. That you, you said that there's we we start talking in God's direction, know that He's going to respond. You know, I think a lot of times the discipline of prayer can almost be uh, separated from any expectation that anything's going to happen as a result, whether it's a response from God, whether it's God to move in a certain way. Uh, what do we do in prayer when we kind of get the discipline of it, but we don't really feel like we're seeing any results? Well, typically, you know, the main thing is the only thing you can really do is wait. You have to wait on God to do what he's going to do in his own time. And in some cases, you know, you may wait and find that he grants your request over time, or you may wait and find that he doesn't grant it. And, and, you know, and then, of course, your conversation is probably going to focus on that, how you're going to adjust to that. And and then there are times when there are times when you pray and the answer comes quickly. Those yeah. are the times we love. And I think part of our problem is we think that's what prayer is supposed to be, mm. you know, that the, the answer should come like soon and if not sooner. And even Scripture talks about occasions where before we ask, God will begin to answer. It's, it's, it's amazing to think when answers to prayer do come, if you really analyze it, Typically, God has to put things in motion before we even make the request often in order for that answer to come. That, that tells us that it's really not this, it's not bargaining, it's not us trying to pressure God into doing something that it really is a case where God is aware of us, deeply interested in us, active in our lives, and is already responding to us like the like the father of the prodigal who is watching for his son you know he, he's he rushes out to meet him and i think that's often the case when it comes to prayer we just don't hear it you know because again we're 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 used to audible communication we're used to facial expression and body language and you don't have any of that when you're talking to God. What you have are the promises of his word. Hmm. And that's that's what you stand on when yeah. you pray. It's a good place to land. Our guest, Dr. John Kessler, he is the author of this month's devotional in the Today in the Word of publication. If you are not all the, already subscribed or following along with Today in the Word, it's a free daily devotional. I highly recommend it. Just text the word TODAY to 312 312- Two seven four nine six two four. Text the word today, Doctor Kessler. Thanks for being with us this morning. I'm happy to do it, Allie. Thanks. It's like coffee, but for your ears. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings here on Moody Radio. I've got an opportunity I want to make sure that you know about. Carl's going to be taking a small group of people through some coaching this year. And this is based on the principles that he lays out in his book, The Seven Resolutions. Jonathan, you've thumbed through or at least heard a lot about this book. Yeah, right? absolutely. I've it, thumbed through some of it. What sure. of the, the principles that Carl talks about in the book is there one that has resonated most with you mm, that you can think question. of? You know, he talks about redeeming time, mm-hmm. about killing sin, about joining God. Uh, is there one that you've gleaned most from? That's a good question. I think it's probably been 
Killing Sin. Okay. Killing Sin is obviously it's a big one for all of us, but I, I find that one to be, you know, one of my most important, if I had to say, just because uh, sin, a lot of sins find ways to grip onto our lives, yeah. believer or not. And, and so we need to know how we can fight them. And, and I think that Carl really outlines that well to where, you know, you're focusing and leaning into God's strength, yep. but you're also putting in effort because God doesn't hate effort. He hates earning. Yes. And that's a good quote. Yeah. And so the effort towards sin and the leaning into God for it, it was very revealing, very helpful. And one thing that Carl often says is that we're all in recovery in yes. some way. So whether it's a, a bad habit, whether it's struggles from our childhood or from our past. If you want to transform your spiritual life in 2023, coaching may be for you. So what Carl's done is he's scheduled a couple times where you can sit in on a webinar. The webinar is free. It's anonymous. You can just listen in. You don't have to turn on your camera. You can get more of a vision for what he's going to be doing and then decide if that's a step that you want to take. So there's going to be two January dates for this seven resolutions webinar. If you want to find out the information, get signed up for one of them just text the word seven, spell it out, text seven to 312-274-9624. Just text the word seven to 312-274-9624. Going deeper in our relationship with Jesus. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. It's Carl here with Carl and Crew Mornings. We are traveling throughout Israel. I'm coming into you live with little bursts from time to time, but I've got Omer Eshel with me right now, and we're doing a little flyover of the trip that we're taking starting today, January 12th in Israel. Where are we starting out? In Jerusalem, right, my friend? We are now actually going to start with being little Indiana Jones. Okay. Because we are going to the sifting project this morning. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So, no whip, sorry, no hat, no gun, but we're still going to do some sifting. The sifting project is actually, this is God's sense of humor. In 1996, the Islamic Waqf decided to erase any Jewish memory from the Temple Mount, and basically they took out 800 truckloads full of archaeological debris, which belongs to the Temple, and dumped it at the Kidron Valley. Now, we cannot I excavate. Not that. I knew that they dumped it. I didn't. But they put it in a specific place. No, they threw it out. We took it. They threw it at the Kidron Valley. How? But this is, again, this is God's sense of humor. We cannot dig in Temple Mount because if we're going to do that, ah, the UN is going to be all over us. <laughs> so they moved the Temple Mount for you. There you go. God said, okay, you want to sift the Temple Mount? I'm going to bring the Temple Mount to you. So they threw it to the Kidron Valley. Ministry of Antiquity, together with Moriah, together with us. We picked up those debris and we lifted up to Mount Scopus. And we've been sifting that dirt for almost 20 years now. And we found, get this, 66,000 archaeological evidence that proves both first and temple period. And this morning, our group is sifting the real artifacts from the temple. Where we're sifting is not far from Gehenna or what is the garbage dump, which was where uh, Baal worship, um, babies, Molech, Molech, um, Molech. Molech yeah. the, they were offering firstborn babies onto the molten arms of, of Molech. Um, that's right. It wasn't Baal worship. It was Molech and Asherah during Asherah, that time. Yep. So um, have they done any historical digs in that area? And yes. what have they found? They actually found some tombs of children down at the, at the Valley of Hinnom, Gehenna. Yeah. 
And right above it, and something very, very unique, they found the oldest Aharonic blessing that was ever found. It's now in the Israel Museum. And it was found on a skeleton. It's made out of silver, out of, uh, on a skeleton of a high priest, dated to the, to the destruction of the temple, 586 BC. So that's incredible that the last archaeological find that we have from first temple period at the Hino Valley is the Aharonic blessing. That is amazing. Okay, where else are we going? So we're in Jerusalem. We've done some artifact. And by the way, every if you go to Israel with us someday, Boom Crew, you are going to sift and you are going to find because there is not an inch of land in these digs that will not produce some artifact. And no, you cannot take it home. No, with you. you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where else are we going? After this part, we're going to go to the coolest biblical site, I think, in Israel. That's the City of David. Yeah. City of David is one huge A site. And when we say City of David, we need to be careful here because some people might think City of Chicago. It's a much smaller area, but it's a City of David in that it is incredibly momentous for world history. Absolutely. You know, the, the uh, City of David is basically the nucleus, the biblical nucleus of Jerusalem. That is the city where David dwelled. This is the city where Solomon dwelled. Only after King Hezekiah, you have much enlargement of the city. So up until Hezekiah was that little area in Jerusalem, which today is outside the city walls. But at the City of David, you find archaeological finds which blow your mind. By the way, why is the, because it's out, uh, what, north, south, east, west, what portion of the wall is the city of David outside south, of? The south, south walls. South walls. Yeah. So I'm picturing it, it is outside the walls. Why is it outside the walls now? The city of Jerusalem was destroyed. It was leveled by the Romans. But so. when they reconstructed the walls, why didn't it encompass the city of David? They didn't know it was there. The walls that you see today are brand new walls. These are, these are walls that are for 1536 AD. Right. These are 500 years old. It's but the, but they, so they didn't know they didn't archaeologically know yes. where that city yes. of David was. That's it's what, just a little bit out. Yeah. It just buttresses out a bit. Right. But it, the finds are amazing. You have found so much. Talk about the one coin that was discovered there that most confirms for you the city of David. Temple tax. We found half a shekel. That's exactly what the Bible speaks about. This is what Jesus said to Peter, go and find the fish. So you, you pay our, uh, our temple tax. This is the, the coin that Jesus tossed in the booth of the mining changes because of it. We have that coin. It's in the Israel Museum. We found a bill. A bell that belonged to the high priest. Yeah. That the Bible speaks about bells and pomegranates. Yeah. So we have the bell. Where's the pomegranate? The chief archaeologist of, of City of David said, let's do an x-ray. They did an x-ray, and you imagine what's in that bell? A pomegranate. No way. Isn't that fascinating? Incredible. We found the pool of Siloam, called the real pool of Siloam, where Jesus healed, healed. the blind in yeah. John 9. We know where it is. You can sit on those same steps that Jesus spat on the, on the mud and smeared on his eyes. That is an A-side, a strong A-side. We know the place where Solomon was crowned. We sat there and we did some studies about Adonijah. These are historical momentum. Okay. A quick note, uh, since we're in and around Jerusalem, we've been up to the Temple Mount on one occasion. I made a grave error of having my arm around my bride when I was having a picture taken. I had some military come up alongside me and say, no, you will not do that here. Uh, any chance of getting up there on this trip? It wasn't military. The people who told you not to do that are the waqf, the Islamic waqf. The military the, doesn't care. 
Yeah, it's, the military doesn't care. No. It's the you, it's if, the moral police. It's, it's the the Muslim moral, moral police. police. Yeah, yes. yeah. To be clear, this is Muslim yes. held. Yeah, yeah. Yes. There's yes. No, you're not allowed to bring a prayer shawl. You're not allowed to bring a cross. You're not allowed to bring a Bible. You cannot say the word God. You cannot say the word temple on Temple Mount. You cannot say the word Jesus. You cannot say any one of the prophets because that religious police of the Islamic Waqf will jump on you. So. I, we try not to include Temple Mount in our itineraries. It is a beautiful place, but this is exactly what Jeremiah said. What you have turned my house into. Mm. You want to shout out loud the word of God? Yeah. Go down to the Western Wall. Yeah. There Scream it from your lungs out. Nobody's going to tell you anything. And it's a 50-pace walk. I yeah. mean, it's this right close right. to one another. Right. Wow. Okay, coming up tomorrow, January 13th, where will we be on Freedom Friday? Hang on. Got to go into work? Don't worry. Check out the Carl and Crew Showcast wherever you like to stream. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. You know, we've been talking about fruitfulness all week. Fruit is a big deal. And we talked about yesterday how uh, the fruit that's produced proves that we belong to Jesus. That's where it's to his glory that we bear much fruit. And that's how we prove that we're his disciples, not in that we're proving ourselves to him, but it's the evidence to a watching world that they belong to Jesus. Just like the the apple that's growing from a tree is the evidence that that's an apple tree and not a peach tree. Absolutely. If you want to look different to the world, then there's got to be something that proves you are different to the world, something that the world can see tangibly, and that's what our fruit is. And so the lack of fruit or the appearance of there being fruit, but there's really not, this is actually addressed in Scripture as well. And so if you go to Mark 11, Jesus has this interesting exchange. He's with his disciples, and he curses a fig tree. So Mark 11, 12 starts with, on the following day when they came from Bethany, he, this is Jesus, he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So there was the appearance of fruit. There were leaves, but upon closer inspection, there was none. Yeah, which is... Sobering, right? Absolutely. It's sobering because you think about the spiritual parallel. I'm going to read you straight from the Moody Bible commentary because I think they capture the application pretty well. It says, although it was not the season for figs, by the time a fig tree is in leaf, it should have fruit on it, even if it's unripe. Hence, this fig tree, despite its leaves, was actually barren. Jesus was demonstrating the danger of spiritual hypocrisy as evident in the temple leaders. All the trappings of religion... And then in parentheses, leaves without true transformation, i.e. no fruit. So the danger of spiritual hypocrisy. So the temple leaders, there's this, that's, that's what's being represented here, is spiritual hypocrisy where there's the appearance of something, could be religious activity, yeah, but there's no transformation. There's no actual fruit. Yeah, you're right. And it's easy to fake it sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. to make it look like, Hey, I'm a I'm a vibrant tree over here. I've got a lot going on, right. but upon closer inspection, there isn't that fruit there. Right. And it's this is I think important because one because it's in scripture, but two because this is what happens when we try to start pasting fruit on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes instead of going through the process and 
a tree, a vine, growth or fruit production happens over time. Mm -hmm. It's a process. You don't just snap your fingers and all of a sudden fruit appears. So I think sometimes because we don't want to do the, we don't want to go through the process. We don't want to go through the waiting. Abiding takes time. It takes diligence. Mm -hmm. It takes patience. So sometimes it seems easier to just kind of put some activity out there, sign up for some ministries or some volunteer work because I really want my life to appear fruitful. It doesn't happen that way. And that's how we end up with kind of living as hypocrites a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Or we're not actually abiding. We're not actually connecting, connected to the vine. Therefore, fruit is produced as a byproduct. We're trying to slap it on ourselves. Yeah. Well, I was talking to my wife about this a couple of days ago. We were talking about shortcuts in life and and how all shortcuts have a cost to them. Mm. Uh, But... It's very interesting because the very first thing that Satan did on earth was tempt Eve with a shortcut. Mm, Was to say, hey, you know, you can learn from God, but you eat this fruit and you you become just like him. And I think that that is a big essence of a lot of the sins that we fall into is a shortcut. I want a shortcut to love. I want a shortcut to happiness. I want a shortcut to wisdom and to pleasure. And this fake fruit that we paste on our lives is another temptation for a shortcut. And that's not how it's meant to be. Yeah. And so the solution is kind of going back to what we talked about yesterday out of John 15, that we abide. Let me pull this up for you. John 15, 4, it says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So that's the solution. It all kind of comes back to that, to abiding. We're the branch, so we can't force the fruit. We just cling to Jesus and know that fruit will be produced as a result. Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsored Studios, this is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM Moody Radio. Well, have you ever had one of those sort of man versus nature moments where you felt like it was you against the elements, you against, uh, I don't know, uh. some animal or something? <laughs> Man versus nature is really the, the what I, how I can describe. Yeah, sure. Have you had one of those moments is my question. I am currently experiencing a man versus nature moment, uh, also known as woman versus city rat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it, it's basically the same thing, right? You just, did you have like a grudge against him? Like what's going on? Did he okay, have a grudge against so you? So I live in the city. Yeah. And if you live in the city... You will have encounters with rats. Yeah, it's, it's just it's part of it. Absolutely, no, when a part you of live it. in a big city, unavoidable. There's really nowhere you can go to kind of escape them. They are everywhere. Yes. So I don't see a lot of them, but I can tell that one, and I think it's one, has been messing around my air conditioning units on the <laughs> going to the bathroom. Yes. And two days in a row, and it's it's. Uh, now I'm on a mission yeah. to stop this rat. Absolutely, I'm not. Don't want to encounter him in person, but I've been researching techniques to keep him away and make him find a new spot. Mm. That's all. You know what? Man versus nature. You know what would ha- what would be helpful? What's that? You get a little bit of nature on your side. Get a dog. 
that rat is not gonna is not gonna own that backyard then anymore. Doesn't the dog have to be out? Because you know rats are nocturnal, so it's not like I ever see the little guy. That's true. They are nocturnal. So I don't All right. Leave yeah, you don't leave dog, the dog out. Dog out at night. Well, I was thinking he could intimidate him when the dog goes to the bathroom, and, and then he can come back inside. But but if it's at <sighs> night, then you're right. It's probably more of a problem. So if you have recommendations for me on how I can win this little battle, and again, I am I like humane ways of kind of dealing with them if you can. Sure. Get that that's not always possible. So I don't. I'm not even trying to catch him. I'm trying to deter him. So here's what I've tried so far. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I got some essential oils, peppermint. Okay. I dunked a bunch of cotton balls in this so I could soak up all this peppermint oil. Sure. And then I strategically placed them in the area where I where I can tell that he's been ah. nose, moseying around. Is peppermint will. something that rats peppermint, don't like? According to the internet. Ah, okay. Peppermint and eucalyptus oil. So I did a combo, like a mix of <laughs> peppermint and eucalyptus oil. And I'll see if that works. I soaked cotton balls in it. So if you've got other if you've got other suggestions for me on how I can deal with this situation, I've never actually seen him, but I can tell that he's been there. If you know what I mean. <laughs> he's leaving he's leaving his calling card. Man versus nature. <laughs> <laughs> I make it sound so dramatic. You do. You don't know how much time I spent yesterday researching how I can deal with this because you know how I feel about rodents yeah. of all kinds. Yeah, you do not like them. Oh, I you don't do not like, like them, them, Sam I am. I don't like them. Okay. That's how we're getting into the into the six o'clock hour today. I'm I'm sorry. I did have to take a minute to request your help. Text me. Tell me what to do. So let me go through a couple of these. I can't vouch for any of them, of course, but they sound good. <laughs> Apparently cayenne pepper or hot sauce huh. will also do the trick. So okay. if I put a lot of cayenne pepper around my air conditioning unit, that might help. There is uh, There are ultrasonic things that you can plug in that give off a, a sound that's not detectable to humans, but is but they very, don't like. very annoying to pests. Huh. I may have to try that. Mothballs, cotton balls in a glass jar, suggestions to get a cat, or a live, or like a live release rat cage. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, that'll also do it. I'll keep you posted. Let you know who wins this one. It's going to be me. <laughs> Coming up. Carl might would be good to have to speak into this situation. Yeah, he really would. Yeah, I'm going to ask him. He's live in Israel. I promise I won't take up much time with this. We'll get back to the good stuff. Coming up. Helping you start your day off right. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. Carl's been broadcasting live from Israel as he tours the Holy Land. He's on a trip with his church, 180 Chicago, the church that he pastors uh, right here in Chicago. And then some Boom Crew members jumped in on it as well. So, Carl, it's been great to hear these updates and kind of feel like we're there with you. Hey, Allie. I'm not only here, we got the whole team here. Wow. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We got uh, we just landed in Bethlehem. Wow! G- give us a what have you been seeing over the last uh, twenty four hours or so since we last Whoa. talked to you? Goodness sakes, there's so much. Uh, let me highlight a couple of things here just quickly. We did just land in Bethlehem. It's an A zone in Bethlehem. It's an interesting area. Um, it is set aside for uh, Muslims, and so uh, we have a special guide privilege for our Jewish guide here, but it's, uh, we're going to sit down and have some good lunch, late lunch here. It's 2 p.m., a little bit past that here in Israel, 
But we're this has been amazing. We just left the southern portion of the city of Jerusalem, and we were looking at uh, some of the ruins and some of the rebuilds, even from Nehemiah. And I was awestruck because if if you remember the story right, most people do. Some that are listening maybe don't know it, but the story of Jeremiah leads us to an incredible reality, and that is that God was at work. We look at the conquests of of Joshua, and a lot of people look at those conquests and they go, oh boy, he had great military might. No, the truth is he had God fighting for him. And we know this because the nations wanted to strike a deal with them mm. because fear was in their heart over the power of God. So they were striking deals because they're like, hold it. Something's got a hold of this guy, and this is not just military acumen. This is the power of God. So we see that for sure um, in the conquest of the nation. But then in the rebuilding of the wall, same thing happened. Nehemiah's rebuilding the wall 52 days, 52 days. And when your boots on the ground here in Jerusalem, you then see, oh, my goodness, 52 days to build not only build, rebuild the walls of a city, but to rebuild it under the threat of being attacked constantly. Wow. So it's it's staggering. And then I went to the Pool of Siloam. We took our folks to the Pool of Siloam, and this is a beautiful story. A man born blind uh, was approached by Jesus. He was ultimately healed. And a lot of us look at the Pool of Siloam, and we look at the first seven verses in John 9, and it's easy to think, oh, yeah, this is this Pool of Siloam is all about healing. It's actually all about humility. And you know how big we are on humility with Carl and Crew, Allie. Oh, yeah. We talk about it all the oh, time. Yeah. But I got to tell you, it's in this storyline, in this narrative beautifully. And if you're just driving somewhere, maybe at home right now, I want you to pull out John 9. The entire chapter deals with it. The first seven verses, if you just read that, you'd go, whoa, God wants to heal. But the healing is a result of humility humility, humble belief that Jesus was the Messiah. And what's interesting is that there's some humor in this story because the guy born blind, he looks to uh, the Pharisees who come back to him twice. First, after he's healed, he goes to the neighbors, his neighbors are talking about him. And one a set of neighbors says, oh, he must have a doppelganger. There must be a lookalike <laughs> because this, this, there's no way this guy got healed. But then then the Pharisees question him. Then the Pharisees question his mom and dad. His mom and dad are freaked out. They're like, oh, man, what do we say? So they say he's of age. He can answer for yeah. himself. Let him, let him do the talking. We're good. Yeah, we're good. That's exactly right. And then the Pharisees come back at him again. And this guy's obviously got a great sense of humor. So now he can see, and they're questioning him, what's going on? What's going on? There must have been people gathered all around. And he says, ah, you want to become a disciple of Jesus too? <laughs> and they, now they're ticked off. They're like, no, we're a disciple of Moses. Don't be messing with us that way. And ultimately, the end of that chapter you know, this healing was done for the glory of God, and it reveals two groups of people. Those that see Jesus as the Messiah, humble themselves and say, I will follow him. And those that are too stiff-necked to 
follow this Jesus of Nazareth. Mm. So it's it's all plays out. Here I am standing there on the edge of this pretty fresh dig relative to a lot of the archaeological finds. But there I am standing right on the steps of Shalom, right where Jesus would have been, right there, right there. Wow. I mean, stepping right down into the pool and uh, seeing what it is, the power of Christ to heal, transform those that will humble themselves. So there's a little bit of fireworks for you, but it's it's been awesome, Allie. You know, I would I love hearing these stories. What's been the coolest response that you've seen from those, particularly those who are seeing all of this for the first time? Because I know that they're, you're traveling with the group. I know a good number. This is all new. What are what are they saying? Uh, the best response is we had one um, young man surrender his life to Jesus fully, and I baptized him in the Jordan. Wow. He came here knowing of Jesus, but never had yet followed him. Another man had has been in the church a lot of years, uh, but had never fully surrendered his life to Christ. And I had the privilege of baptizing him in the Jordan as well. And uh, both of these guys are, can you imagine being freshly born again and being in the holy city and wow. looking around? My goodness. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's been epic. Uh, but the other, oh, I think here's what, here's what's good. And, you know, Boom Crew, you might be listening to this going, shoot, I wish I was on this trip. You know, Allie, you're coming with me and Janine, and we're bringing Henry, and we're going to do another one of these trips. Yeah, we're we're going to do this. I would love We're going to do it. We got to do it. And here's why. Because now this thing is coming together for me like a puzzle. And it's like, choom, 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 choom. it's all coming together. And I think what's interesting, we were just leaving Jerusalem here just a few minutes ago, uh, probably 25 minutes ago. We just landed here in Bethlehem. But as we, we were leaving Jerusalem, you look down from the city of Jerusalem and Omer Eshel, He's our guide. He says, you normally can't see it like this, but it's a, off in the distance, we see the Dead Sea, clear as a bell, and Jericho, and there was no haze. So we're standing in Jerusalem. We're looking down. We're seeing the Dead Sea and Jericho um, right there, right there. I mean, you reach out your hand. It's right in front of you. And wow. the proximity of this, um, of the sites to one another is almost hard to get your head around it's mm. it's a very small country and so much has been packed into it here it looks so relatively insignificant but here it is still the epicenter of the world all eyes are on israel it's astounding my goodness i'm a little fired up i see that no i understandably what's on the agenda for the rest of the trip i know you're coming now down to the final days well, we are going to go check out where David clocked Goliath right between the eyeballs. And uh, that's going to happen tomorrow. That's going to be great because they, I mean, we're going to go right into that valley where Goliath was shouting down at David saying, you're going to send this pipsqueak after me. I'm going to throttle him. And uh, David clocked him and lopped the old head off, man. So we're going to go down into that valley. Um, we're going to spend some time here in Bethlehem today. Some of these sites, like uh, the exact birth of Jesus, uh, there's a lot of traditional sites, but we don't know that. But there's what they commonly call A-sites. These are A-sites are conclusive, archaeologically evidenced, no question. 
sites, and that's where we go. We go to A sites. We don't go to traditional sites. So we're going to be in Bethlehem today, and we're going to let some of the folks uh, that came, both from 180 Chicago and the Boom Crew, um, we're going to have them do some shopping uh, here in Bethlehem because some of the best carvings are done right here in Bethlehem. And so we're going to take that in. But we're packing it in. My goodness, we walked yesterday. We walked, and this is this is serious stuff here, uh, something like 18,000 steps. Oh, wow. What is that in miles? But it's a long way. That and is then a lot. 20, 24 floors somebody had on their Fitbit. <laughs> um, so it's a lot of up and down. It's a lot of left and right. And there's a lot of people from all around the globe. But it's been an incredible time. Man. That's beautiful. Just incredible time. Last thing before I cut you loose, uh, you sent me a batch of pictures, which I'm grateful. I'm going to get those up right now for the Boom Crew to see. Uh, had a lot of questions with the last batch of what What are we seeing in this in this latest batch? I see Magdala, so I see. So, do you know what what areas you yeah. were from these photos? Yeah, this batch that's coming in. Did you put up the baptism batch yet? Uh, no, I haven't put those up, okay. but I'm working on it. Snag some of those because that's a no-brainer. That's the Jordan River. I'm sorry it's so hard to try to get things sent oh, no, via it's okay. email we'll because take what it's we can batching get. it all up. So um, try to get some of the things that self-identify. Obviously, baptisms identifying that because that's in the Jordan. But Magdala... Um, in the batch that we just sent, you're going to see uh, Capernaum. Okay. So that's the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. or Yeah, north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so it's Capernaum, Magdala. When you're looking at Magdala, you're going to be looking at some synagogue ruins there of that synagogue. And that's exactly where Jesus would have been. And, oh, Magdala. Let me take uh, 30 seconds. Sure. Um, Mary Magdalene was loaded. She's the woman that bankrolled Jesus's ministry. And I, I've got a spiritual principle. Here's my pastor's hat on. You, you know, Mary Magdalene, she had demons cast out of her, but she also had skin in the game with Jesus. So Jesus wants to deliver us. But you know what I found over the years as a pastor is that people, I, I never see what anyone gives. Ever, because I don't want to. I don't want to be jaundiced by that, or you know, sometimes our heart can get tweaked by that, either good or bad. But here's what I've learned: people that have skin in the game. I'm talking the gospel. They believe in it. They're they're helping fund ministry. Mary Magdalene was the first to the tomb. Why? Well, she was deeply grateful for what Jesus had done to save her, deliver her, but she had some skin in the game. This was a woman that had means, man. Uh, we don't know how she made that money. Uh, Magdala, that's where Mary Magdalene came from. Magdala, um, that is a fish processing hub. So right next to the synagogue, you find these areas where the boats would have been pulled up. There would have been live wells, fish are in there, shoom, getting cut open. See, this fish, sardines, everything, Allie, you just got to get in the groove here, sister. <laughs> you always is... bring it back to sardines, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's a cool thing. So in those photos, um, Allie will load up baptism photos, uh, Magdala photos. 
Um, and then uh, when I get back, I'll add some, I'll try to add some comments to some of those photos. But boy, that last batch you put out, I happened to have internet signal long enough to see. Get thousands of people looking at those things, so yeah. it's kind of cool. It's it, it's a lot of fun to be able to kind of enjoy this trip from afar. Obviously, being there would be amazing, but for those who aren't able to go, man, photos are the next best thing. Carl, we're looking forward to get you back here in studio. But until yeah, we do, to it. have a great great time and say hi to the Boom Crew for us. I'll do it. I'll do it. Godspeed, Allie. Way to go. I'm proud of you. You're holding down the Ford. I heard Super Die is out. So it's, it's, yeah. it's what is it called? Thunder, Thunder Alley. Thunder Alley is back in effect. Thunder Alley. Yeah. Until we can get Thunder you back Alley. and Super Die healed up. Thanks, Carl. Right on. Blessings. Bye bye. Bye bye. Talking about Jesus and having fun while doing it. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. So what do you choose? Let me read you this passage of scriptures. We're talking about how to live fruitfully this year. There are two different paths that you can take. Psalm 1. This is the very first chapter in the Psalms. I'm going to read you all six verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." So let me break this down a little bit for you. So there are two different types of people that are illustrated in this short little passage. Did you catch it? There's the way of the righteous and, and the, the way, way of, of the, the wicked. wicked. So the righteous is the person who adheres to God's word, who uh, believes, who follows, who walks in the path that God has called us to take. And the wicked is the one who says, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. The wicked is the person who opposes God's will, who wants to stubbornly go their own way, maybe doesn't announce it as such. I'm stubbornly going my own way, <laughs> but is resistant, is, is basically through their actions saying, it's my way. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple things I want to highlight here. These first couple, uh, first verse, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So the first thing we noticed about this blessed man or this man who goes the way of righteousness, they don't listen to fools, mockers, and scoffers. They're not taking counsel from the people who aren't following God. Yeah. So yeah, who you listen to matters, right? It absolutely does. I think that, I mean, we're all impressionable, and I think that counsel is a beautiful thing, but it does matter where you get your counsel from yep. because, I mean, you want wise people directing you on where to go. If you want to live fruitfully this year, who you listen to matters, and we know this to be true. This is why we tell our kids to we're, we're uh, suspicious if they start hanging around a crowd that's making choices uh. that we know are contrary to what we want our child to be doing, yeah. whatever that looks like. We are suspicious. We caution them against, hey, I don't I don't know if that's who you want to be linking up with. Sure. Yeah, and, absolutely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we don't want you walking with sinners, mockers, and scoffers, and it's not in a self-righteous sort of way that says I'm better you, you, than you. It's that who do I want influencing my life? Absolutely. I'm not going to listen to counsel 
If I want to go the way of righteousness, I'm not going to listen from to counsel from somebody who's going the opposite direction. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the practical kind of thing you want in business, too. If I need financial advice, I'm going to ask maybe a tax expert. Not I'm going to go. Not the IT guy. No, not the IT guy. I'm yeah. probably not going to ask, you know, all of my great co-workers here because, I mean, you guys are financially great. That's not what I'm saying. But We're not experts. It's not your expertise. Yep. And if I have a radio question, I'll ask you guys because you're, <laughs> you're, that's your expertise. Absolutely. That's fair. Then let's move on to verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So what does that mean? Uh, this is this righteous person. Their delight is in doing things God God's way. How do they know what that is? Well, there's they have God's word. They're regularly taking it in. Again, not in a legalistic box checking sort of way, but if I am sincerely seeking to go a certain direction, I'm going to be listening to the instructions when I'm driving in my car. I don't know where I'm going when I'm going to a new place. Hmm. So I'm listening to the directions, not as a suggestion, not as a good idea, but okay, turn left. I'm going to turn left. Yeah. Go straight through this light. Turn right at the next light. Done. I'm going to do that. Why? Because I, I, I know that I trust that this system that's built into my phone or my car ultimately knows the path to take to get where I want to go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Coming up, we're going to go to verse 3, and this is where I think it gets really fun. This person is like a tree. How is the righteous man like a tree? Why should you be walking around this year saying, you know what? I want to be like a tree. People might think you're crazy, but then you're going to give the explanation, and it's good. Giving hope directly from the source. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. If you want to live fruitfully in 2023, you got to be like a tree. I didn't mean to create a rhyme, but I did, and I'm kind of loving it. <laughs> oh, yeah? Are you going to keep it all day? <laughs> if you want to live fruitful in 2023, you just got to be like a tree. <laughs> hey, good job. Thank you. You know what? <laughs> that was for free. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard this, uh, it was a couple years ago, my pastor at the church that I attend, Chicago Tabernacle, he did a whole series, a sermon series on this one little chapter, and it was called Like a Tree. And so I learned more about trees than I ever thought it was possible to know, and it was all so fascinating. But ever since then, every time I read this, uh, I think about it, like a tree. Why? Mm. Because there's two different paths that are contrasted here. There is the man who's walking in the way of righteousness who's not standing in the counsel of the wicked, who's not listening to scoffers and sinners and fools, who's meditating on the law. He is like a tree. This is Psalm 1, verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's out of Psalm 1. So a couple things I want to pull out. This person is like a tree for a couple ways. Planted by streams of water. How how would what do you take that to mean? I take it to mean that it is very close and connected to its life source. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And as a result, yields fruit in season. Its mm -hmm. leaf does not wither. That speaks to fruitfulness, but also longevity. Yeah. Sustainability. Absolutely. It's not 
it's not, uh, you know, withering down in certain seasons. It's yep. staying strong. It's not producing fruit, but then because it was so overworked, the leaves are withered, and then mm. there's no fruit for another couple of years. Nope, this is a tree that's healthy. This is a tree that's rooted. This is a tree that's drawing water so that it can grow up strong. In all that he does, he prospers. Then I'm going to go on to verse 4. The wicked are not so. So this is the picture of the person who is opposed to God's way, who's going to go their own way. They are not fruitful. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. What is chaff? Well, if you are, are not familiar with farming references, chaff have you ever heard the expression, separate the wheat from the chaff? Yes. It's a commonly used one. Well, chaff are the husks and the straw that's separated out when the wheat is threshed. So I watched a video of this, and you can see as the wheat is being put through this big machine, you see all this stuff flying in the air. Mm, yeah. It's the chaff. It's the stuff that's not useful, that's not valuable, that just kind of blows away. Yes. And that's what the wicked person is compared to here, like the chaff that the wind drives away. So instead of being fruitful, instead of nourishing others, the wicked is like chaff. It's like kind of what's thrown away and yeah. is not useful to anyone. Not useful. There's, There's no, no use for it. And it's not that that person doesn't have intrinsic value because they're made uh, in the image of God. It's that this person has refused to go God's way. So the outcome, the result of their life, there's nothing valuable there. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It sounds harsh, but it's it's the word of God. So it's true, right? Yeah, it is. Let me go on. Verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So not only is the wicked person the person who refuses to follow God's way, not only are they like chaff, they're easily moved, their end is destruction. So as opposed to the fruit-bearing tree that's prosperous, that is sustainable, that's leaves do not wither, the way of the wicked will ultimately perish. Hmm. So that's fruit bearing is a big deal because fruit, we learned as we talked about yesterday, fruit proves that we are in Christ, that we are actually following him because when we're connected to the vine, fruit bearing happens as a result. But the wicked, because there's no connection, there's no life source. So ultimately, over time, there's no other possible outcome than the end being destruction, right? Yeah, I it's, mean, it's, it's only a matter of time. So which way do you choose today? Do you choose the way of the righteous? Do you want to be like a tree this year? Or do you want to be like the chaff that the wind drives away? I would encourage you to really take a look at Psalm 1. Even memorize it. Spend some time committing it to mem memory maybe this year. It's just six verses, but it so powerfully illustrates what it looks like to live fruitfully and what it looks like to live unfruitfully. And really the difference is as simple as are you going to go God's way this year or are you going to go your own way? The choice is yours, but if you ask me, the choice is easy. Hey, coming up in this next hour, I've got a big announcement. I just got an email. This was an internal email from folks here at Moody of a giveaway where we're going to be sending a couple people to Israel. We've been talking about, talking oh, about this trip that Carl's on, and maybe you've been thinking, boy, I wish I could go too. We've got an opportunity for somebody. I'm going to tell you how you can enter. All the details coming up in the next hour. 
Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsored Studios, this is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM Moody Radio. So you've been looking at these pictures from Israel. You've been hearing Carl call in and talk about the Holy Land. And you've been thinking, man, I would love to be on a trip like mm, this. Well, yeah. Announcing for the first time here on the morning show, yes, the 2023 Israel Flyaway Contest. Can we get some music for that? Uh, yeah, Any hold on. Any kind of music. I feel like this needs some <laughs> little something, something. I don't. I don't think I've ever clicked this one before. Let's see okay. what this is. Let's. Look. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that works. <laughs> Come on, it's great. Moody's Israel <laughs> doesn't work, Jonathan. You don't like Shut it. Shut it down. Oh. It doesn't work. I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm gonna tell you the truth. Okay. Doesn't doesn't work. But you know what works? You and a guest getting round trip airfare to, from the U.S. to Israel. Twelve day tour of the Holy Land. First class hotel accommodations for two plus breakfast and dinner daily. Oh my goodness! This is a big one. This That's is the great. one of the one of the biggest giveaways that we ever do. Yes. Here on Moody Radio. So how do you get in on this? I've got a link for you. You do need to sign up. This runs for still early February, so not very long. We're already uh, almost at the halfway point of January, if you can believe that. That's crazy. So this is just going to run a couple weeks, so I would encourage you to get in on it. One entry form is all you need, and that's all you're allowed, <laughs> actually. <laughs> if you try to do more than one, you will be disqualified. So just do one, just one entry form. Text the word TRIP to 312-274-9624. This trip is valued at over eleven grand. Wow. That's awesome. Text the word TRIP to 312-274-9624. TRIP to 312-274-9624. Who's going to be the next person to send us some Israel pics? It could be you. Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this showcast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew. As we help you take your next step with Jesus, you're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. Godspeed.